0: Both versions of the show air in other states. For these show times plus past episodes, please visit the show's website at buildingthefutureshow.com. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check them out at electricmantra.com. Join me at the 10th annual Media Excellence Awards on January 18th in Beverly Hills, California. The attendees and I will be celebrating innovation and leadership in technology and entertainment. There are 20 award categories with a 1,000 nominees. These awards honor those who are creating groundbreaking technology to better our lives and celebrate the hard work, determination, and brilliance in the leadership within the companies which create the new world we live in today. I will be recording nominees and winners at the awards. For tickets and more information, go to MediaXAwards.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Dr. Sean Wise. He's the professor of entrepreneurship at Ryerson University. He's also a partner at Ryerson Futures as a seed investor, a best-selling author, and he helped launch Dragon's Den along with tons of other stuff. And for people that haven't heard of Dragon's Den, it's basically the Canadian version of Shark Tank. So, Dr. Sean, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks. I'm really excited to be here, Kevin.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm actually really pumped to have you on the show. I've I've kind of followed your career um, and kind of known who you are cuz you're you're kind of a huge name in in the tech industry kind of globally um and and then as obviously as well known in, in Canada for for your work on on tons of things, but maybe before we kind of dive into all of that, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up.
1: Mm-hmm. So I grew up in a large, uh, multicultural, diverse urban center uh, awesome. uh, called Tor- called Toronto, uh, north sure. of the border. It's a yeah. lot like Chicago or New York, just a lot cleaner, a lot safer, and has a lot more variety of food.
0: <laughs> sure. It- interesting. Okay. Sure. Sure. So you've done, obviously, you ha- you're a doctor. So walk us through your kind of education career, because you've done a ton of stuff, and, yeah. and I think it's kind of fascinating. So walk us through that.
1: Okay. So I went to school to study aerospace engineering at okay. uh, a school in Ottawa called uh, Carleton.
0: What made uh, you want to go into that, just out of curiosity? Star Trek.
1: <laughs>
0: sure. Fair enough. <laughs> Star That's Trek. Awesome. I
1: wanted. I knew I could never be a pilot. Uh, I thought maybe I could do something else in the field, and that would get me sort of closer to space travel one day if we ever went that direction. But in the end, my learning disabilities made it impossible for me to practice as an engineer. So I made a little U-turn, a pivot, if you will. And near my third year of engineering school, I uh, left into uh, law school. And I graduated law school with a law and MBA degree. My law degree was in corporate finance. My MBA degree was in entrepreneurship and finance. And I had always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I'm the son of two high school dropouts. I'm the son of two very successful entrepreneurs. in the right. And I've always been taught from a very young age, you know, if it's going to be, it's up to me, so, so be an entrepreneur. But I also knew that a profession, a technical background would make me a better entrepreneur. I knew that being a lawyer would make me a better person to do large deals. And very early on, I got exposed to venture capital, and I left my practice of law, and I went to go work in the VC world. And I worked for a company called Spencer Trask, and they're most famous for Mr. Spencer Trask, who was the original angel investor on Thomas Edison's light bulb. And one of the original founders of General Electric Edison. So for a number of years, I worked as a seed VC uh, underneath their, uh, their leadership. And when my billionaire boss became a millionaire in the, in the crash of 2008, I decided to come back north of the border and give my parents what they really wanted, which was grandchildren. Um, while doing that, I accepted a, a job at the university, Ryerson University is sort of like the Babson or Stanford of the North, it's, sure. uh, it's very hands on, it's very experiential based. Yeah. Most of the profs have PhDs, but they also have years of experience. You don't go to Ryerson to teach entrepreneurship if you've never had your own startup. So I've had my own businesses all throughout my education. Uh, by the time I became a VC, I'd already have five or six companies under my own belt. So I've been an operator. Uh, working as a VC in, in a seed capacity was fabulous. Uh, but when I returned home, I, I took a post with this university that allowed me to teach the next generation. Uh, the university has its own small uh, seed fund. I help out there whenever, they, whenever I can. Uh, and so I keep in contact with a lot of, young entrepreneurs, uh, and I'm very excited every day to go into work, whether it be teaching or whether it be mentoring or, or whether it be working on something like Dragon's Den, which in the States they call Shark Tank. It's funny because people don't realize that Shark Tank is one of 27 versions of that show, that the show sure. dates back to Money No Toro in the late 90s on Sony in Japan. And, and so it, it, it's, and they also don't realize that half of that panel is Canadian. Yeah. But but put put well, that they were on so Dragons heard, Den,
0: right? Like half of you guys where, are on Shark Tank today. Oh, we're on Dragons Den. <laughs> yeah,
1: and that's or they were on Entourage or they were on something else where they proved they could do good television. But I spent five seasons working with them uh, before getting my own show on the Oprah Winfrey Network Canada, uh, where I just sit down and basically go like you are one on one with a, with a with a famous entrepreneur and try to help my students understand that it's not an easy road to follow.
0: Sure. No, I I think that's that's really great, and and I want to kind of dive into, kind of your your latest book, startup opportunities, know when to quit your day job, and and you've written a ton of other books, and if people just you know basically Google you, they'll they'll get your Wikipedia page and, and tons of other stuff, and you just go to Amazon and type in you know Sean Wise, you're gonna get all your your books, but I I really want to kind of dive into you know, that book and why you decided to kind of write that.
1: Thank you. It's my pleasure. Yeah, I have
0: a very unique name. You know, Dr. Wise, it sounds like a
1: supervillain. So it's really easy to, to Google <laughs> awesome. me. My Amazon page is really, and some of my students and investments would probably agree with that theory. But uh, this book was really uh, a necessity for me. So I'm very blessed every day to meet entrepreneurs. And I'm very blessed that they want to tell me their pitch, no matter whether it's in a room or a restaurant with my wife, uh, that people come up to me and share their ideas. and I, I feel bad because in five minutes, I can't tell you that your life dream is good or bad. It doesn't work that way. But more importantly, in the 21st century, it's no longer the venture capitalists or the investors that make entrepreneurs successful. It's the customers. So it's not my opinion you should be getting. It's the opinion of your customers. And all of this came to a head when I had the opportunity to interview on my show, uh, Brad Feld. Now, Brad sure. Feld makes what I do, you know, look like small chump change. And it, and it is comparatively. And Brad is a is a mensch of a guy, a super smart guy, a super nice guy, and he's had you know uh, half a dozen unicorn exits plus billion dollars, Fitbit being one of the last ones. Um, and he is talking, and we were both frustrated, not because people ask us while we're peeing for opinion on their business, but because we can't actually answer it to them in a full, and that bothers us. And yet, if I get a hundred he gets a thousand so we said what if we took a book and put everything we would want them to know it ahead of time could we help people start less stupid startups or more importantly could we give the book to people who asked us not to sell it like not to try to go oh, just read my book not to make the nine dollars that we're going to make from the book but to help people to walk away with more than just an answer because most entrepreneurs when they're faced with negative feedback it's hard to take it and most entrepreneurs when they're positive feedback, just want more. But sure. what you really want to understand is what's behind that. Brad's, you know, had hundreds of investments. I've had dozens of investments. And we're trying to explain in five minutes or less at dinner so I can go back to my wife's attention, you know, what's wrong with their uh, online bookstore. Sure. So we wrote the book as a as a I hate to say it like this, but a gift to every entrepreneur who's ever wondered, should I quit my job for this idea? We wrote this book so less spouses would be crying that that they didn't know that this was worthwhile doing or they shouldn't have done it ahead of time. On Dragon's Den, on Shark Tank, it kills me to see people who are pursuing categorically terrible ideas in the wrong way and spending their children's inheritance, spending their retirement, uh, mortgaging the house, selling the children to science. It breaks my heart because their efforts are needed they just needed to be in a better way. And I'm not saying that means I can pick winners or not. I don't want you to think that, Kevin, I cannot. I'm saying that people should be working with their customers. People should be getting key shareholder opinions, not investor opinions. And not enough people have got that memo. Interesting. And so this book is all about people on the cusp. Or even those who've taken the jump to know why they're not getting investors to call them back, or why they're not getting the feedback. Because you know we might hear a hundred pitches, but one. But I don't have enough time to tell the ninety-nine I don't invest my two cents. Sure. So you know we wrote this book for ourselves, literally uh, to stop people from from, mm-hmm. from 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 coming for bad advice.
0: No, I I I think that's that's really really good, and and obviously. Um I, I think it's something that, at least in my experience, nobody's really, well, I shouldn't say nobody, but there's not a there's not a lot of people like the two of you that are willing to openly talk about this stuff, right? Because so many people are like, if you don't quit your job day one, you're you're never gonna be successful. And it's like, well, that's not true really in any way, shape or form. And it also, to your point, like, if you're going to mortgage or, or bankrupt yourself trying to chase an idea, like, that's so, so crazy in my opinion, right? I understand the concept of if you burn the ships when you land on a new continent,
1: everyone won't think about going home. I get that. Sure. But when the cost to launch a startup has dropped from $5 000, to 500000 to 50000 to less than 5000 mm-hmm. you would be idiotic to quit your job the thing that's paying for your family, before you've tested that people actually agree there's a problem. People actually agree your solution, if built, would work. That's why Kickstarter is so great, right? Don't build a factory to prove that no one wants pink watches. Put one up on Kickstarter and let people pay for it in advance. If we can shrink the distance between customers and innovators, then we will only increase the number of successful ventures we've launched.
0: No, that's actually really good advice. How do you, though, like, what are the first steps that people should kind of consider when they're thinking about, like, do I do this full time? Like, how far along should they kind of be? And I don't mean in a a time frame, but, like, should you be kind of starting to make some money? Should you kind of be... Pre-revenue, like what do you kind of see all so
1: that? So, so there is no one answer fits all. Mm-hmm. I like people to have revenue before they say they, they burn, you know, they, they, they get the insurance money before they do all of the things that they can do to keep it afloat. Sure. But you can get early evidence. So you're looking at like a binary decision that one day you're going to wake up and know you should quit. I'm suggesting it's more of a continuum that deals more with your own comfort. So I wouldn't quit my job before I went and spoke to 100 customers for one hour each face-to-face. Okay. I wouldn't quit my job before I found a solution that was exponentially better than the market alternative. I wouldn't quit my job until someone had bought at least one unit or I'd at least fake sold one unit before I'd even built it. But that's me because that's my risk profile. Okay. Right? Uh, I'm, not, I'm not talking about, you know, you got to release Google and then figure out the revenue model after. I'm talking about for the majority of us out there, you know, mm-hmm. who are working day to day to create something new that isn't world changing. A small business person as opposed to a super startup entrepreneur. But even if you're a super startup entrepreneur, you're doing yourself a disservice to go all in before you have arm's length external evidence. Because you can't trust yourself. You love the idea. You wouldn't be doing it if you weren't obsessed with the problem. You wouldn't be doing it if you weren't trying to help yourself solve that problem. You wouldn't be doing it if you didn't think it was worthwhile doing. But that same entrepreneurial bias clouds your decision-making like the dark side and the emperor. It makes you only (laughs) see certain things. And and, and you have to lift that veil of the dark side so that you can make an honest decision for yourself – for your future, and for your past, right? Because everybody shares the pain when an entrepreneur fails. You know, it it takes a village to raise a child. It takes a community to make a startup. So, you know, I think you shouldn't quit. You shouldn't cash out your your retirement funds until you have sufficient external objective evidence that what you're doing makes sense, adds value, right? Google knew that sorting the internet automatically 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 60 minutes every hour, 60 seconds every minute was valuable. Sure. They didn't know how they were gonna monetize it, but they knew it was valuable because the human mind can't do that, right? Before sure. Google, a lot of these searches were hand-done. We'll figure out the best 100 sites and we'll put them under each. Librarians are outdated because of Google, yep. because it took it to another level. So even if you're doing Google, I would have still, I'm not them, so I'm not suggesting I could look back and tell them how to do better. But did they walk around and go, hey, are you also having trouble finding things on the Internet? Or did they say, hey, how many sites a day are getting created? How could any human come up with that? What else other than your own passion, obsession, desire is proving to you that this is worth the risk?
0: Sure. No, I 100% agree. And the thing that I I think I want to kind of get your thoughts on and and, and just kind of reiterate is like Google still makes majority of their revenue off of kind of ad sales, basically, right? They have they're in so many Mm -hmm. other verticals now. So they still haven't figured out how to really move. A lot of their revenue to other ventures they're working on it heavily so i like- would
1: disagree with you kevin really i would disagree okay. with you okay. i don't i don't i don't disagree with your conclusion i think okay. google has found other applications for the idea of sorting and collecting and sifting through large data streams sure, and whether okay. that's that's videos on youtube or whether that's Google searches. They're doing that. Now, on the fringes of that, there's some crazy stuff, right? Like the sure. floating internet bubbles and all of this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would be hard pressed to say that Google isn't in the right balance because it hasn't been able to duplicate the value transfer it duplicated to the six billion people on this planet when it indexed the internet.
0: Sure, that's fair. Okay. So, but putting that aside, what's the question? Well, no, I just, I just kind of wanted your thoughts on that because, right? But and and just kind of getting to the point where it's like Google did this, you know, astronomical huge task, and they're still kind of riding the, that kind of revenue and, and using that, and basically they're still trying to figure out how to monetize some of these other markets, right? Because they're not making nowhere yeah. near what their Twitter doing is a better Ad example. Anything else? Okay, sure. Twitter is a better well, example,
1: right? Because Twitter went public, got big, did all these things. before it even had product market fit. And I think that that's the real benefit you have in 2017. It's been since the dot-com boom started. We've had the dot-com boom, we've had Web 2.0, and now we're in the so-called age of unicorns. right? But that's just a cohort of, of startups that were trying to disrupt businesses through the Internet. So by seeing these thousands and thousands of startups and studying them, we're able to map How do you go from where do I get my idea from to product market fit? How do you go from I have an idea to I've broken even to I'm profitable? And we've been able to map it. And if you look at the work of Bill Ouellette at MIT, Steve Blank at Stanford, uh, Eric Reese at at Harvard, and, and even my own small contributions to this process, we have tried to map the road and so we know you start with problem solution fit and we know that problem solution fit is made up of a bunch of little steps and we know once you find problem solution fit you can then raise a little bit of seed money and and start growing your channels and find adjacent markets and we know not because I'm so smart but because you can reverse engineer things like uber and google and twitter and tinder and Flickr from all of these cohorts and start to piece together strategies You know, I'm not the genius who came up with, get out of the building, put customers first. That's my professor, Steve Plank, right? And so that was very different. You never heard that in 1996. When I went to MBA school in the early 90s and I wanted to learn more about entrepreneurship, they gave me like Benjamin Franklin.
0: Okay, interesting. There
1: was no lean startup. There was no customer development focus. These are new tools. So if you're going to quit your job, Number one, you should be familiar with these tools. Number two, you should be using them already because this is the process by which you get the evidence, which gives you the confidence to double down, to quit your job, to, to do that. Or if you're already in a startup and you're like, I don't know what to do next or I don't know why people aren't buying what I'm selling. These processes have proven to be mostly universal. Not sure. all startups can be lean startups, okay? Pharmaceutical drug company startups are not likely to be lean, and that's okay. But for yeah. the majority of us who who want to dream about having a company worth 10, 20, 30 million dollars or hundreds of millions of dollars, there's a process. And if you're not following it, then you're or at least aware of it, then you're doing yourself a huge disservice.
0: No, I I 100% agree with you, right? And you can build a really good business, even if your revenue is only a couple million dollars a year, right? Like, based on what you're trying to do. Like, and I think the other thing that I I find kind of interesting is just how I think there's so much misinformation kind of out there and stuff kind of coming out of the valley sometimes where that stuff doesn't even happen in the valley. And so I think like a book like you guys wrote really kind of – kind of tells the truth for kind of a maybe a lack of a better term for that right and at least gives people some stuff to kind of think about when when they're actually considering making a huge life choice like like quitting their job to pursue, pursue their kind of startup
1: and that's what Brad and I wrote it for
0: that sure. was our hope
1: our hope to, was to have one less sorry sad story of someone who's bankrupt our hope was to have someone who's on a startup Cut out a month of time. Cut out a week of time. Figure out a new technique. we I don't know that what I wrote is, is, is truth in the objective sense. It's my okay. truth. It's the sure. experience I've had listening to 20,000-plus pitches. It's the experience Brad has had listening to those pitches. It's our truth. We find it to be coherent with what our peers and colleagues say but you know what sure. people have to find that out for themselves especially in an era where people talk about things like adjacent truths and alternate truths and fake news and trump <laughs> presidencies you have to know the context of where you're getting your information from and that's sure. what we're trying to give sure. i can no, pick I a st- really up you, you know
0: and i think
1: i think it's also you, you've hit another point which is why do you have to be a billion dollar startup How about starting with the dream of being sustainable, making more money than you spend? A small dream. How about the dream that I want to look after my family or I want to be independent or I want to have a side hustle and maybe it's only going to make $500,000 a year. But if you're the only employee, what's wrong with that?
0: Yeah, and you take home home half of that or or a quarter of that or something, right? Plus your job. That's that's not bad. And that's
1: part of the book because Brad through his investment and support of tech stars is in 20 different markets. Sure. So he sees people and and he sees them struggling to get the evidence they need. They see them taking leaps without without the proper analysis. And, and I feel similar. I got tired of listening on Shark Tank to everybody crying and saying, if we don't get this investment, it's over. You should never put yourself in that position. Sure. The only people who want you to go all in are the people who will benefit if you win, Not the ones who have to live with you every day. Not the ones that have to see you go through this. Listen, I'm all for huge exits. Nothing would please me more than if more of my investments had huge exits. But you know what? Not every business needs to have venture capital. Not every business needs to be hunting a billion-dollar exit. If you're the only investor in your business, a sale of that business for $3 million could be life-changing. Totally.
0: It could be enough to retire, right? Or at least live comfortably.
1: Live comfortably. So that's what the book's about. That's if I'm sitting on a beach and I want to know, should I be thinking about to come up with my great idea? You're going to be a little disappointed because it's not really about ideas. It's about how you test those ideas, how you think about those ideas, how you validate those ideas. It's not really like there's a secret formula. The idea that wins is the one that's adopted fastest by the customer. And the one that's adopted fastest by the customer typically is marketed well, but also adds exponential value to the end user. Sure. Right? The, and
0: no, so people need to agree. think about
1: it. People need to think about it that
0: way. Well, I, I'm also curious, though, t- and and uh, like I work at a startup now and I've worked at them in the past, and what I found works really, really well is you launch as quick as possible, get people using the platform, get their feedback, and start actually incorporating that feedback because they feel like they're building the product with you and they and that builds so much loyalty. Have you found that as well kind of worked in in different startups that you've been involved in?
1: Absolutely. Those that have the richest user community tend to innovate fastest, and they tend to find product market fit much faster because they're getting input on a daily basis. I have never scientifically, but now maybe after this, I will, tried to correlate the number of customer interactions a founder has over five years with the speed of success. But I can hypothesize that they're directly correlated, if if not exponentially correlated. Because the faster you get in front of potential customers, even... When you said, when you have a platform built, I'm talking about draw it on a whiteboard and go show it to customers. I'm not even sure. talking about coding it. I'm talking about don't go code something for a thousand hours before you show the screenshots that you hacked up to them. Try to do it in increments. Sure. And, and, and by doing in increments, what's going to happen is, is you're going to get direct feedback that may change your assumptions. Mm -hmm. But if your goal is to be successful, then who cares whether your software helps doctors, dentists, or veterinarians? Yep. And that's where I think valuing the customer even more than the idea itself can be so important.
0: Sure. And like your day one, whatever day one is that you show it to a customer, whether it's a whiteboard drawing Mm -hmm. or kind of a first version of an app or website or, or web app, whatever it is six months later or a year later, it's going to be so different if you actually listen to people that are actually using the platform. And I think that's what you're basically trying to get across, correct?
1: Correct. I'll also add to your point that you'll do it faster with less Mm -hmm. probability of failure. Interesting. So we actually, when I work with students trying to get them just open to entrepreneurship, we don't even wait for the whiteboard. We don't even, because that assumes you know what it looks like. We have them go and say, which customers do you care about? Which groups of customer segments are you a member of? Which groups of customer segments do you have access to? Because if you can't get access to early adopters, what does it matter? Sure. And so students might choose international students because they're on work visas or study visas. Right. And they'll go out then and see, tell me your top problems. And after 30 or 40 hours of face to face interviews, you will hear common themes. Sure. Those themes become the problem that you're trying to solve, as opposed to going and saying, okay. here's the problem. Do you agree? Yes. Here's the solution. Would you buy it? That's almost way ahead. We do a program called 100 steps to startup and you can find uh, 100stepstostartup.com and it's literally like week 1 what do you want to accomplish with your life? You know, what is the goal of your startup? Is your goal to have an exit? Is your goal to have revenue that sustains you? Is your goal to change uh, how cancer is treated? What are you trying to accomplish? And sure. from there move through customer discovery, from there move into product uh, to problem confirmation, to move there into solution development. In, we, we map it out to 100 steps because students like to have little teeny bite sized steps that everyone can accomplish. And so 100 steps probably take six or 12 months. But the program is geared to first time founders, whether they're students or people thinking of quitting their jobs. So we want them to read the book. And then once they figure it out, there's a great idea out there. The next question is, is how do I get the evidence? How do I start? How do I convert my idea? How do I protect my idea? How do I raise funding? And that's what we've done with hundred steps to startup. We've taken the great work by Alette and 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 Eric Reese and Steve Blank, and tried to make it accessible to the ninety nine percent of people who aren't in Silicon Valley.
0: Sure, no, I I think that's that's really good, and and I want to dive a little bit deeper into hundred steps in a second, but I really want your thoughts on so. When you're doing all this research and you have people saying like, you know what, if you guys actually build this, I want to at least like test it for you or, or kind of be involved. Do you recommend people have paying kind of beta customers or alpha customers? Or at what point do you try to get some sort of money from those types of people?
1: Assuming that you are talking about, assuming that you're talking about a B2C business even a B2B business, you know, earlier revenue is always better. Okay. I know people will argue while you're doing Facebook, you need the network effect. Agreed. I also think when you're showing people a cardboard with an image of what you want to do, it's a little early. Sure. But when they take the prototype that's made of gum and and popsicle sticks and and (laughs) painted with crazy glue and they say you can't take it with you after the test, then i know you have something when people call you and say is it ready yet then you have something and That's if you manage their expectations then by the time you answer it's ready but i need 999 for you a month they're already in because like you've suggested collaborated with you all along the way. Don't build in secret. Build with your customer base. Build with your community. By definition, the first adopters will be innovators. Just look at you know, Roger's curve. I mean, that's sure. one of the things I love. I can take a PhD in entrepreneurship and apply it to real world stuff. So the stuff we're talking about isn't just theory. It's real. Like, this is how sure. people do it. The best companies in my portfolio can't remove their prototype because the, 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 the customer says, over my dead body. Interesting. Right. And it's similar. I mean, Paul Graham says it the same way. How do I know when you reach product market fit? I pull the plug on the server and I wait to see how long it takes for people to call and complain. Interesting. Right. They're all variations of the same thing. Build something that people need that's exponentially better and solves a problem exponentially more valuable. So it's 10 times cheaper, 10 times faster. That's why Google wins. Because it's 10 times a librarian. That's why Wikipedia wins. It's one-tenth the cost of Encyclopedia Britannica and a hundred times as broad. That's the things, if you're looking for that that billion-dollar exit, you need to be focused on. But for the majority of the 99% of us who are just trying to build a business so we can have a job, make a living, uh, go on vacation, you know, still use those tools. You just need to use them more appropriately. And that's really 100 steps to start up what we're trying to accomplish, and really startup opportunities is really helping those people who are wondering if today's the day.
0: No, I, I 100% agree. And so I, I wanna get back into 100 steps to startup because I, I think it, it's actually really innovative and really cool. So. Do you kind of want to dive a little bit deeper into kind of what's included and kind of a little bit of the the flow of kind of what happens in the course or the program, I should say?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I don't like people failing, and I don't like people failing when they could have done better if only they had known some secret piece of information. So I went out and spent five years of my life Trying to understand how founders get to a billion dollars, how startups succeed, how small businesses succeed by talking to VCs, by mapping my own. And I took some of that knowledge and tried to break it down into pieces that my sister would understand. And I love my sister. You know, she's a college graduate, but she knows nothing about technology, nothing about startups. But she has an online jewelry business okay and i don't know anything about the online jewelry business but telling her to go talk to her customers was a revelation and telling her to stop writing her business plan and write a lean canvas was a revolution revelation and so a hundred steps to start up is is our effort to break it down into the smallest pieces listen i wish it was 10 steps to start up because it would have been much faster (laughs) because because not only are there a (laughs) hundred steps But I would say in 80 or 90 of those steps, there's also an exercise. Because I can't assume you know what a lean canvas is. I can't assume you know what customer discovery scripts are. I can't Mm -hmm. assume like they do in a valley that someone's just going to show you how to put things together. Because I use this with undergrads, with grads, with first-time founders, with with newcomers, with seniorpreneurs. It has to be easy enough for everybody to do. And so a 100 startup isn't anything... Uh, different other than it's easier to understand. So we've taken the same things. How do you find a great idea? How do you then turn that idea into a problem set? How do you work with customers to turn that into a prototype? How do you work with that prototype to get it ready for sale? How do you choose price? How do you choose channels? When something goes wrong, how do you pivot back? So it's like a roadmap to startup success that applies to 90, 99% of the startups Because, like I say, you know, pharmaceutical companies, startups aren't going to be lean. There's there's certain things you can't do. take your test drug and just randomly test it on customers. It's not going to work. But for the majority of us, the side hustlers, the small business people, the startups who are still working to move to, you know, triple uh, to to move to seven figure streams. This applies. And so it starts with understanding customers and understanding customer segments and finding beachheads. And then it moves to working with your customers to identify what we call inelastic problems. You know, uh, a pair of shoes for $1,000, you wouldn't do. But if I cut off your air, you'd pay me $1,000 for it. So air is a better startup than $1,000 shoes. So (laughs) we look at things about elasticity and about how that impacts people's value perception and what you can make with them. Obviously, you like to be things which can be charged a lot for and how to choose that. And once we have a problem, we then look at what's in the market now and what's failing to satisfy the current needs and re-envision it using what we call the 10X rule. So the 10X rule is simply in order to disrupt incumbents, new entrants need to be exponentially disruptive. Now in plain English, it means if you're going to knock out Blockbuster, Netflix has to be 10 times cheaper, faster, more convenient. You have to not be able to put on pants when you want to order a movie. You have to be able to not have to go to the store and find out it's out. You know, Google can't be a little better than the librarians or an index. It has to be 100 times better. And so how do you take that problem set and turn it into an exponential solution? Because if you're going to try to move an incumbent like uh, even Microsoft, right microsoft once owned the 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 word processing market after it destroyed corel wordperfect yeah. right so then google says oh you know what's better than a software for 299 a year free yep and you know what's better you don't need all the features that word has 90% of the users follow pareto's principle that 20% of the features satisfies 80% of the users right so sure. you can you can you can figure that out and so when Google Docs started, well, it actually didn't start. It was a company called Write.ly, so rightly.
0: Yeah, I remember that, but,
1: yep. but But when Rightly was out and about, that was their thing. We're exponentially cheaper than Word. And we're in the cloud, and you can collaborate. But no, we don't have uh, Helvetica font. No, our spell checker only has 10,000 words, not 100,000. Because no one cared. Yeah. And so... In that middle process of 100 steps to start up around phase three or phase four, because they're broken into seven phases, you're really trying to develop the concept of an online video store. And then you're building it. And by that gotcha. point, you already have the, the target customers. You already have early adopters lined up, whether you ever charge them or not. Like I say, we have people best portfolio companies are those that the people who use their prototypes won't give them back. Yeah, interesting. They're like, let me just buy the whole thing. And I'm telling you, they're literally like duct tape and code wrapped (laughs) together. But you know you have something if people will settle for an ugly solution that
0: works. That's fair. Yeah, and the other thing too is I think that sometimes like designers and developers forget about is people really don't care – how well it works as long as it does work or if it's written in the trendiest languages or, or whatnot, right? And I've had that before. It's like, well, I really need to build this thing in this like cool new language. It's like, you know what? If when I hit, when the user hits that button, they don't really care the, all the cool technology behind that button. But if that, if when they click that button, it better work, right?
1: So I totally agree,
0: especially with inelastic
1: problems like the air example. Mm-hmm. Right. You you don't care where that air is coming from if you're not getting air. Sure. You don't care how much it cost or who produced it or where they stole it from. So when you have you know, problems like I don't have any oxygen, then you will be more likely to adopt quicker and you'll be more likely to move forward. So I agree 100
0: percent with you. Sure. So this is a little bit off topic, but I very much want your thoughts on this. And I think it, it kind of fits. What is your take on? And it's maybe a little controversial where where people say, don't start something that you know nothing about. What's your kind of take on that? Do you agree, disagree, or does it really depend on the industry that you're trying to go into? It depends. Okay.
1: So the arguments for
0: don't are very clear.
1: You don't have any insight. You don't have any access. And you're not known in the industry, so you don't have any clout. And yeah. you don't know about the industry, so you don't have any domain knowledge. So I, would, I find it incredibly hard pressed to, to back companies in that space.
0: Okay. But
1: I have funded, the Writers and Futures has funded a number of companies who weren't in the industries, but took such a disruptive approach. Okay. So I like to do half and half. If you're okay. going to go after Walmart, I'd like you to work at Walmart for five years. And that's why we tell our undergrad students, don't graduate and, and, and go immediately to start your startup. Go and find an industry you love, work for a big player, watch the opportunities they're missing, keep your eyes open for the one that's elastic, and then quit and build a solution. You'll even know who's going to buy you in advance. So to me, it's a little bit of both. Okay. When you are fresh to an industry, you see what, 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 what could be. But when you're in an industry, you know why it's not that way.
0: Yeah, I 100% agree. It's interesting because I've heard guys that are in, I don't know, like say a medical device space, and they've designed a million versions of some medical device. Sometimes they will hire somebody that knows nothing about the space to give them some sort of wild idea that might not even be buildable, but at least it inspires and they can kind of work together to create something, right? And so... The, the tag Well, it's more than that now.
1: Sure, okay. We now know that by, by collaboration, by mashing up two different mindsets, a musician and an engineer, you get something mm-hmm. new. If you do research in the Fortune 500s, you will see that there's a large number of them that actually employ science fiction writers. There's actually a service called Scout.ai – that okay. hires science fiction authors to figure out the future business sectors they could be in. So what does shipping look like if we have flying cars? Or what does the taxi industry look like if it's autonomous drivers? And they hire science fiction authors who are not limited by physics or engineering or technology. Just like Star Trek wasn't limited sure. by like what actually worked; They just have to make it look like it worked. But yet, look at your smartphone. Isn't that Captain Kirk's communicator plus stuff? basically yeah right you know look at, at at the fitbit isn't that just a version of a tricorder i mean yeah. I, I don't want to overplay the fact but, but what you're saying is 100 percent true i like people who have domain knowledge in the industry they're trying to attack i like people who have a rolodex that they have easy access all oh, for having one or two of the founders just be totally from different mindsets
0: no i i 100 agree i'm just always curious because you get kind of different takes from from different people that have been through that and i think it's also though you kind of need to figure out what works for you right like i take little bits from you know what worked for this guy or girl or this company or or whatnot and then trial and error some of this stuff and kind of see see what works obviously there's theories and stuff that have worked and you should try to follow that some stuff but Not everything's going to work for you. That's worked for somebody else, and I think that kind of get that message kind of seems to get lost in some of the people I come across. Have you found that as well?
1: So let me tell you that there's actually a theory of stealing theories. So okay, there's a theory we use in the book and in the Hundred Steps to Startup called Swipe. And it's not even a theory. It's just an acronym that we teach our companies steal with integrity and pride everywhere. Sure. Well, Jobs steal, had a big
0: quote like that, right?
1: Yeah. Steal Netflix's revenue model and try to be the Netflix for comic books. Oh, wait, that's Comixology. Okay. The Netflix for audio. Oh, wait, that's Audible. Okay. The next, the Netflix for immigrant TV, imm- uh, to sell to people who live in the U.S. who want TV shows from their home countries. Sure. You know, and you should steal ideas. You should constantly be watching how everyone else outside of your sector markets, tweets, creates virality, and steal with it. Do it with pride. Write a blog post about how you got this idea by stealing it from someone. Ideas aren't copyrightable. You're giving someone a compliment if you said, you inspired me to run a contest in my city because it worked for you. You do it with pride and integrity. Put the footnote on the bottom. Thanks to so and so for inspiring me to try this approach. There is nothing wrong with learning from people better than you. Just no, give them the credit. Just give them the credit for it. Don't be sure. ashamed of it.
0: Sure. No, I, I think that's really good advice. And I, I think the best example that I try to go to, and maybe you might have a better one, or is Apple didn't make the first MP3 player. Like I remember, it was creative. It didn't even hold one album. I, I had it with my like. I ordered a Dell, and it came, and I was like, "Whoa, this is awesome!" But I can. only I'm carry trying 10 to think songs. of the
1: name of the company. I'm trying to remember. I had it too. It was. It was creative, uh, it was, wasn't it? No, there was one before no. that. It was a little it was circle, that. It was a little yellow circle with an armband. I took it to the gym, and I wore it like a badge of honor. And it sure. had like eight songs on it. <laughs>
0: But, but, but right, so like I think one of the most successful products in history wasn't the first one, right? Like, But I'm talking hard... about even more than that. I'm okay. talking about watch okay. how people do their HR.
1: I'm talking about watch how people sure. do their webpage. I sure. swipe from my co-author Brad Feld every yeah. day. I follow him and, and, you know, he's so honest and open and transparent, you know, about his depression his and other issues that I've become mm. open and honest about my issues. And I've really enjoyed it, and I give him that compliment. I don't do it like in some secret way, like I came up with the idea. But in sure. everything, you want to you want to be like Steve Jobs. Great, take a habit he had. Try reading lots of books. Try doing X. Try doing Y. You know, mentorship is the one-on-one, ongoing relationship between two or more individuals sharing and, and learning. But there's another way of learning that's called modeling. And modeling is I want to be a great public speaker, so I'm going to go watch. 100 hours of whoever I think is a great public speaker, Jack Kennedy, uh, Tony Robbins, uh, whoever you think it is, sure. by doing that, you're modeling after them. You're not infringing on their trademark. You're, sure. you're complimenting them. And so if you're serious about doing what you're doing and you don't know how to do social marketing, then go find three people and, and stalk them. That's the best thing about the planet. The best person on social media might be in Glasgow, Scotland, but sure. I can follow them from here, and I yep. can learn from them.
0: I love that. I well, went to
1: school I, for my PhD at the University of Glasgow, so I always want to give a shout out to my fellow sure. scholars.
0: That that's great. But but Sean, sadly, we're coming to the end of the show. Oh, thank you so, so much. It was so much fun, Kevin. I
1: appreciate you listening.
0: Yeah. No, I'm I'm ex- I'm so happy that you you decided to do the show, but I really want you to mention where people can get the book at 100stepstostartup.com. I, I want you to kind of mention where people can get more information about yourself and everything you're kind of involved in, because it's all over. Okay, I have Just a Google really,
1: <laughs> I, have a, I have a really secret place. I call it, you ready?
0: Wikipedia. Okay. Interesting. Wikipedia. No, the truth is
1: you can Google me. Sean is S-E-A-N space W-I-S-E, Dr. Wise, if you remember the superhero villain joke. Um, you can get my books on Amazon and all bookstores around the world. 100 com is the website for 100 Steps to Startup. Uh, my email is publicly on the net if you have a question, if there's something we touched upon that I can help you with. It takes me a long time, but I try to get through all emails within a 24-hour period. Um... I really appreciate the opportunity. You know, you you say I like chose to come on, but uh, anytime I can share some of the things I've learned and help other people is a a real blessing. So thank you so much.
0: Well, thanks again for doing it. I really appreciate it. Have a good rest of your day and hopefully we can do another one of these someday.
1: Anytime you want.
0: Thanks, man. Have a good rest of your day. Be well. Bye. Thanks for listening. Please visit the show's website at buildingthefutureshow.com. Also check us out on Facebook at Building the Future Show and follow us on Twitter at Building Show. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future.